Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Hello and welcome to Ace Comicals, episode number 70. And we are back to regular programming following the last episode where I was missing on a vision quest somewhere and Ray was halfway up a mountain. Is that right? Uh, to the top of a mountain. Thank you very much. Halfway okay. Up. Oh, you made it to the top. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I took, I took a ski lift there. But I made it to the... <laughs> that reminds me of a story from where I went on holiday because we were in Hungary and we did a bit of hiking on one of the days and um, there was this like huge mountain there isn't well it's called gypsy it's called a mountain it's got, i think it's called gypsy mountain so we were we were like hiking around it and up to the top and there was this group of like uh tourists that come up in a car and they're like asking if we can if they can get up there in by car and um my girlfriend's mother who's leading us up there who knows the trail she's trying to explain to them that you can't get up there in the car and they're just like absolutely refuse to believe her but they're asking her for directions at the same time it's like why are you asking and then second-guessing the person that's telling you? Like, why do people do that? Why? People are scumbags, that's why. Yeah, well, they, they wanted to get up there in a car anyway, and they couldn't, so, you know, more fool them. They weren't wearing the correct footwear or anything, so... But speaking of scumbags, so last yeah. week on the cast, it was Leon, Askew, and Marvin hosting, yeah. right? Yeah, right, <laughs> those three. So, yeah, Leon, Leon took the cowl for a week like two weeks ago last time and in my and ray's absence and you guys put out a good show i was in i, I really enjoyed it. it was great it's fantastic actually yeah. uh yeah like i think um askew in particular is really good like as radio he's just a great radio host and marvin always has something interesting to say and like i've they informed my reading decisions this week so yeah great great oh, awesome guys. yeah i mean i loved your answers to the question by the way <laughs> like, you, you guys gave some great answers so I consider consider that an A star on your homework right there. And yeah, Leon, you you took the cowl and you know you you were good with those hosting duties, keeping Gotham safe in my absence. So while my it's, back healed, so I'm I'm proud of you. Thank you. It's a dirty job, but somebody had to do it. Exactly. So here we are back together, all three of us again. And um, I think I'm going to start off by talking about the fact that I've been playing a game called Bloodstained in my sabbatical like because like i've had a birthday since then as well like i'm older now i've come back older <laughs> but yeah like i i played i've been playing a lot of a game called bloodstained which is like this um it was a kickstarted title that's like in the metroidvania kind of uh ballpark of things um like exploration like gaining abilities crafting items and just everything that is my jam basically like it could eat it on toast you know um and it's what, like what, it's it's produced by koji igarashi who was yes. the, the guy who led the the previous castlevania series and this this bloodstained ritual yeah. of the night is basically a love letter to those old castlevania games which they don't yeah. I guess he doesn't have the license mm. to do that specific game, but it's basically Castlevania. Specifically a, lo- a love letter to Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Like, Is that the, the PS1 one? Yeah, the PS1 yeah. Sega Saturn title that had all the big castle exploration and the, the multiple endings and the cool items mm. and the the Alucard. <laughs> 
So yeah, right, it was yeah. yeah, and um that is like one of my favorite games of all time. So like I was ever going to pass this up and the chance to have it like portable because I had this on the I have this on the Switch. So I can play it on the go and I was sat on the plane playing it. I was sat on holiday playing it. Um when I had some downtime, that that was my go-to. I mean like I've got I got other games like for the Switch over that period I bought I I got bought Fire Emblem and I got oh my god what is the name of that game It's been like Describe this, it to us Oh like why is my mind gone blank I can see the f- fucking cover of the game box in my head <laughs> Um so so like I had this on Xbox and it's the remastered edition Um I remember the remastered bit cuz it's like a cunning pun but um you you are on Mars and you are part of a revolution and you have to blow oh, stuff this, up. Um, Red, Red Faction. Red Faction, that's it. Yeah, it's there got like go. some really awesome physics and it's basically like GTA but on Mars and interesting. Um, <laughs> and you you just drive around just blowing up government facilities with your bombs and shit. Well, anyway, I had I have that and um, I had uh, the new Fire Emblem title which I haven't touched yet. And I've got Dead Cells which I haven't touched yet because I've been too into Bloodstained because it has consumed all of my time. And I got to the end and I got, I think I finished it, but then I got told that I missed something and had to go back and do it. So I'm in the middle of going back and doing the one thing that I missed. Um, I can't tell you stuff because I'm way further than Ray. So I will let Ray talk about where he is in the game. Because if I, if I like babble, I'm bound to spoil it for him, which is what I don't want to do. (laughs) Well, to be fair, this is one of those games where I really don't care about, like, plot spoilers, because I'm barely following what's going on anyway, but, like, the mechanical spoilers, like, if things happen to the environment, like they do in Symphony of the Night, because there's something, like, really, like, a big revelation that happens halfway through the game, or towards the end of the game, I can't remember exactly, um, but if stuff like that, definitely don't say, but, like, because I also picked it up on the Switch on your recommendation, because you were you and our friend Gary was going on about how, how good this was, and I never played any of the old Castlevania games, but I really do like Metroidvanias in general, <clears throat> like some of the more modern ones, um, which none of them are coming to mind right now, but I do like that type of gameplay, so I picked it up, and I was playing Fire Emblem Three Houses at the time, but that wasn't giving me, like, the pick-up-and-play thing that I wanted while I was on holiday, and this really satisfied that itch, like, it's just you know, you, you walk into a room and you just want to keep going to the next one, to the next one, to the next one until you find, like, your, you know, the next save room or the next portal room and stuff. And it's it's really good. I like how um, open-ended it is. I can't I don't know if the Castlevania games had the same, uh, like, weapon systems where you can, you oh, basically yeah. can customize a build-out, you customize your own character, and it's very, yeah. Um, like, yeah. Specifically Symphony of the Night. And uh, okay. a couple of games after that, but like specifically Symphony of the Night, where we're talking about this game because this game is basically Symphony of the Night, but not Symphony of the Night. <laughs> okay, it's the whole idea. But I do like I, I like yeah. that it's RPG ish yeah. and that you have different items and different weapons and you can customize your loadout. Unlike a lot of other um, Metroidvanias I've played, like Guacamelee, mm. for example, where you're playing yeah. as one character with a very specific skill set and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really good. And like, I don't think I I think I've got. I mean, according to my map thing, I've unlocked about 30% of the map, and I gather there's going to be something happen happening at the 50% mark, um, much like other Metroidvanias or like Symphony of the Night. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I'd really recommend it. I'd, I've heard that it's gorgeous on the, like, the big home consoles, like Xbox. I think it's only out on Xbox, apart from the Switch, actually. Oh, it's um, on PS4, but... I think. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty, um, sure, I'm pretty sure it got like a full a release across the board. It might even be on PC. 
Okay, cool. Because I will say the the Switch version is really janky, but not to the extent that people are complaining about it online. Like it's definitely playable. Um, there's maybe a bit of input lag. It doesn't look that great, if I'm being honest. But I went back and looked at some trailer videos or some gameplay videos from the Xbox version, and that looks really good. So they must have just scaled it down massively for the Switch. And the only major complaint I have for the Switch platform is that sometimes when you're transitioning between scenes, it takes fucking forever like there's there's a bit where you have to jump through a ceiling and it transitions into the next screen and it takes 20 seconds to load that that next screen and then in that 20 seconds i realized i'd let go of the jump button so i wasn't jumping high enough when it loaded the next screen and then i fell back down to the bottom screen which took another 20 seconds and then i had to jump back up again so overall it took me a minute to go into that one room and then i realized i wanted to go down anyway instead of up so (laughs) It's it's frustrating, but only in really minor places, and I wouldn't yeah. let that put you off of playing it on the Switch if that's your preferred way. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is, and it does have its mechanical issues, but they have promised to fix those. I don't I mean, know if I trust that, but what I'm getting yeah. at is that it's still, I'm still really enjoying it despite yeah. those those flaws and like, the, don't believe the yeah. hyperbole of some people online who say that it's unplayable, because no, yeah. it's definitely people, not. Yeah. People are, well, people as usual but um like it just i mean they have i mean the official word of the developers is that they are working on it to fix it and they have put a lot of other things on hold supposedly to work on a fix for the switch version to make it to bring it up to the same level as the rest of it as as, as everything else which i i actually quite respect if that is the case yeah so, i hope yeah. they do um but mm. it's not going to stop me from playing it in the interim oh no obviously not i mean i i i got all the way through the game with like you know as is, and I mean, like, I can't say it exactly ran like butter or anything, but I, I didn't have a problem. <laughs> you definitely with it can't all. say that. Yeah, about the Switch version. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, uh, it is across the board, by the way, Ray. PlayStation Four, Xbox One, Windows, it's nice. everywhere. You can get it if everywhere. You, yeah, like if you like that sort of arcadey, side-scrolly Metroidvania stuff, like it's it's really good. It's also really easy. I'm playing on normal mode, and like I've not had much trouble at all, apart from one of the one or two other bosses. Um, and some of the bosses are really cheap, I think. I haven't had one that I found, like, really fun um, overall. And there's a couple where I just cheesed it by sitting in the corner and they couldn't reach me. Um, so in that ways, it feels a little bit under undermade slightly or underdeveloped. But it's still it's still loads of fun to play through. Just the, the exploration yeah. stuff is what's kept me going. I mean, I, I, I just went through, like... I, I tried to bull rush everything when I was playing it and that's my usual um my usual tactic with these types of games is to try and out health the boss so i just sit oh, there okay. with health items and just like keep hammering the boss and then take some health items and then just go back to him and just keep hammering so i just play out health the boss i'm i'm really really boring and lazy with this stuff i don't try and learn attack patterns <laughs> or anything i just out health the boss that's how i play but yeah that's me mm. and it's totally worth it and it's 505 games isn't it developed by art play published by 505 yes Yes, and uh, it's quite a wonderful little game, and it's totally worth the money. Oh, and uh, if you are going to grab it, I would also recommend grabbing its little sister, which is um, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, which is like a 8-bit love letter to the older Castlevania games, which I think I've mentioned mm-hmm. on previous casts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just as great and just as fun. And uh, I've also finished that. I've yet to finish Nightmare Mode, but I've finished the main story done the main uh the main ending and uh that is a really great game with multiple ways to play it as well and i just yeah i just really enjoyed that one as too i enjoyed that one too 
And that's just like your, your basic 8-bit side-scrolling action platformer type thing, which is really cool. Onwards from there, there's the TV stuff to go through, um, of which I have started Mindhunter Season 2. I've not done a lot of TV in my time away, actually. I've mostly been, like, video games and comics. <laughs> But yeah, Mind Mindhunter season two's out now, and I've been checking that out. I'm about three or four episodes in, and it's pretty cool. Um, I really mm. enjoyed the first one. Have, have either of you guys ever checked out Mindhunter? No, but that's the one about serial killers. Is that right? It is. Yes, it's about m- more about the FBI behavioral science unit than it is about serial killers. Yeah. So it's about like the beginnings of the FBI behavioral science unit and how how they came to be in, you know, like in the new techniques they developed in studying serial killer behavior and how they came to identify serial killers and such. Yeah. Okay. Like uh, studying have, serial I've killer watched, psychology, yeah. I have watched the first two seasons, yeah. Mm, you've seen all of season 2. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm I'm only like 3 or 4 episodes in, but it's great. I love it. Um and yeah, I I, I especially love Holt McCallany as Bill Tench. I think I think Bill Tench is great. I like that. I love that character. Yeah, I it, I think he is really good. Yeah, Anna Torv as well. She's really good great. cast. Yeah, Anna Torv um, great in this as well. Like the um, what's notable on this show, what was notable on season one as well, is that um, David Fincher is a main producer on the show. Um, oh yeah. So he directs the first three episodes of each each season. Yeah. Um and um what that does is create the style bible and the visual look of the whole show. Which um means that episode to episode you have that sort of calm but creepy, eerie use of camera and close ups and blocking that you're you're used to from David Fincher's uh, filmic output. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really nice to have a show that looks like that and has that wider aspect ratio the whole time. And Mm. it really does feel like you're watching snippets of a movie. And that's not to denigrate the look of TV, which has come so far and is in a lot of places on par with um, cinema. But here... You just you really feel it, like the sets, the texture, like I said, the the acting, the the writing, all of it is. Um, it it really feels like living and breathing. Um, but like with that, because it's set in history with bits fictionalized, you have this sort of dread in the air, and the way that the show is um, composed, you have. Uh, a big part of the show is these interviews with uh, serial killers who are in, in prison, who have been caught, and the um, back and forths with those, with the FBI agents and the serial killers, are the the best part of the show for me. And mm. I, don't, I think this season uh, goes above and beyond, because I think the first season was still trying to find its footing, trying to decide what it was whether it was going to be seven Zodiac, the series, or if it was going to become its own thing. And with season two, there's a more assured vision on the show and a more confident uh, use of filmmaking and writing, I'd say. And because of that, I believe the second season overall was stronger for me and was really compelling. Like I watched all of it in like two days. 
uh, and I just couldn't couldn't stop. And it's one of those shows where whether you have prior knowledge or if you've got zero knowledge, because it's set during the uh, late seventies and early eighties of these serial killer cases, and they do cover some some. They, some of the famous killers yeah they cover like a lot of real life cases and stuff it's based on a book called mindhunter inside the fbi's elite serial crime unit which was written by an ex-fbi agent and contained excerpts of like real interviews and things i think mm. and like a lot of the interviews that are based a lot of the interviews with serial killers in the show um a lot of the dialogue is based on or uses actual transcripts from interviews with these serial killers because like yeah. when they get to the the interview points in the show, those are the the characters are are real serial killers, like based on real serial killers. Yeah, and I think that stuff is 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 really strong. Yeah, and um, it really they doing that. They also managed to I don't know more like evolve the thesis of the show in a mm. cool way. Yeah, um, where like. Uh, there's sort of this balance of power where obviously these people have been caught and I think they really start to examine what that really means in in terms of actually using this data to to capture people. So, it, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and I'd uh, recommend it to everybody. Yeah. It's a very good show. It's good, but, I mean, it's not something... I mean, I know you said you binged it, but it's not something that I can watch back-to-back like that. I have to watch it in short bursts. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I think I think that's it for me for what I've been doing in the past two weeks. Uh, I don't know about uh, you, Ray. You got anything else to add to that? Uh, before I dive into a few other games and TV shows, has Leon got anything to say? Have you got anything else you've been checking out lately? Nah, not really. I've just been uh, went back into my coffin after the last episode and been waiting for you guys. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so I was going to follow up Mindhunter. By the way, Mindhunter, I remember 2017 was when season one came out and there being a lot of buzz around it being David Fincher and that just fell out of my head. So um, thanks thanks for reminding me because it, it's, a, it's a good reason for me to get back into it because I'll watch anything that's produced or directed by him. Um, other TV, like following on from that, I think... Uh, so me and my girlfriend watched Sharp Objects, which is an HBO show. Um, and if you like... Uh, again, it's it's a fictionalized story, but if you like stories about um, like murder mysteries, then I'd really highly recommend Sharp Objects because not only is it a good narrative, but it's also really beautifully shot. It's a really um, like a playful TV show that films feels very filmic in a lot of ways, uh, and there's a lot of like playing with subjectivity and like your um, you're sort of along for the ride with the protagonist, the main protagonist, who we slowly learn more and more about over the course of the show and who you think she is at the start isn't who you realise she is towards the end. And it's it's really, really very interesting show. I'd highly recommend that. Um, as for games, I have been playing Telling Lies, which is the, uh, the new game by Sam Barlow, who also made her story a few years ago, which I may or may not have raved about on the cast. Um, her story being, like... Basically, a modern-day update of those Philips CDI um, uh, FMV games. So it's all uh, filmed video of one actress or one actor in in a interrogation room, and you have to sort through video clips of her talking about being uh, involved in a murder case. And so, Telling Lies is the spiritual successor to that. And I, while I'm really enjoying it, I think it's not as immediately engaging because. There's a, there's a few things mechanically that are 
because uh, it's basically presenting the same way as her story, where you're sifting through these various um, video files. But in this case, it's not just one scenario where you're watching one woman telling her story in the same setting. It's you're following four different main actors, and they go around. Uh, it's uh, just throughout the world talking on on their phones or via Skype to different people or uh, like broadcasting online. Um, and the way you sift through it is you search for keywords, but those keywords can take you to the middle of like a 10 minute video segment. Whereas in her story, the, the longest video segment you would get is like four or five minutes long. And so you could go through them quite piecemeal. And like, it's like, um, like ingesting popcorn. You just kind of keep wanting to watch more and more. But we're telling lies, like you sort of get dumped into the middle, like five minutes into this seven minute monologue, some of which is just an actor staring at a screen because you're only getting one side of the video of a of a two-sided skype discussion so part of the puzzle is having to find the the other person they're talking to over skype and then watching them back to back to see what was happening in the blank spaces where they're just staring at the screen which is inherently kind of frustrating but also for whatever it must be a design decision by sam barlow but like if it takes you to minute six of a seven minute video, the only way you can go back to the beginning, so like second zero of that video, is like really slowly scrolling through, like rewinding like a videotape. And I don't know what the mechanical purpose of that is. And I think there must be something of like, maybe you're inte- he intended you to only um, sift through those videos by the keyword and you have to try and find the keyword that was at the start of that video. But it doesn't, doesn't make sense. And it's really frustrating. And I want to love it more than I actually do. And... I don't know, I, part of me is wanting to warn people to hold off of telling lies until maybe it gets an update to just, like, click to the beginning of a video. If that, if if they introduced that one update, I think it would be pretty great. Until then, maybe just hold off on it if you're not already sure that you want to play it. Other than that, I'm really enjoying it. Um, and then lastly, I'll talk very quickly about Outer Wilds, because I finally finished that, and I've been playing that for a couple of months. And because we talked about Metroidvanias, I think there's, like, in recent times there's been... Uh, a a new semi-genre of Metroidvania where instead of unlocking abilities, you unlock knowledge. So there's games like Fez, um, The Witness, and like Steven's Sausage Roll, and a a few others that, you know, I I can't bring to mind right now. But you accumulate knowledge through the play, through, you know, interrogating the mechanics of the game. And Outer Wilds is very much like those. But where those previous games, you attain this knowledge, and all it really does is help you to unlock further puzzles and solve you know further mysteries this it actually has a narrative happening that you kind of piece together yourself as you play through the game and it all culminates in a really lovely thing of like what this acquisition of knowledge means what this journey that you're persisting through really means and like what the point of it all was by the end of the game like as i i got stuck on it for literally weeks uh, there was just a point where i was i think i was overlooking something really stupid but once i finally cracked that puzzle it wasn't just a moment of yes i can finally move on to the next thing it's like i actually found out something more about the world and the satisfaction of like persisting without like looking up a guide of it was really good and i think outer wilds is going to be up there as one of my games of the year so i'd urge anyone to check that out if they like that kind of exploration slash space travel slash um i've heard it uh been compared to like um not ocarina of time what was the one that came after that majora's mask Mm. so if you like any of those kind of things check out outer wilds yeah and uh one last thing that i want to mention before we bust into comics Mm. busting 
makes me feel good. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> um, so, like, as you all know, I'm, I mean, you may not know, but I'm an enormous Ghostbusters fan. Um, and I've been reading the Transformers Ghostbusters crossover books and um, I've actually managed to, uh, well, I got sent one for my birthday by these two plus some other guys. Uh, the guys that guested on the podcast last week, a group of guys that I know sort of clubbed together and bought me an Ectotron. So I now have me an Ectotron. Which Ectotron is the uh, the Transformer that is the Ecto-1, like transforms into Ecto-1, basically. He's Ectotron, he looks like a Ghostbuster, and he's great. And he's sitting on my shelf right now next to Blaster, Perceptor, and Asagi. Um, and uh, I'm really proud of him. I've got him there with his... Uh, particle thrower in his hands like ready to ready to bust some ghosts ready to take down some paranormal disturbances some bumps in the night and uh, i love him he's great um and it's a really cool toy it's like it's a really good transformer it comes in like retro style packaging and um i just like it's just one of the coolest things on my shelf right now i just really like it and i, I like that i have one <laughs> <laughs> to go with my uh, Transformers Ghostbusters comics. I just wanted to shout Ectotron out there because it's cool. And uh, they've done a really great job with the character design there in creating Ectotron. And um, yeah, I'm just totally on board with it. It's great. Uh, well, and the next I guess... time I'm at your house, I think I deserve to play with it. At least yeah, you can, you, can, you, can, you can have a go with Ectotron. <laughs> um, so I think we are getting on to... The I, I wanted to thank you guys actually because you are responsible for me owning Ectotron, so thank you, thank you for my birthday gift. Um, <laughs> uh, moving on to comics now, and I think top of the list was the Ice Cream Man number thirteen, which I like. I made I wanted to make you guys read it because it's just I just thought it was so brilliant. Like the the comic itself, it's called Palindromes, and the comic itself is a palindrome, and uh, I will just bust right into it so um i i just love the particular comic and the storytelling here i love like what the story is getting at um it the comic itself is a palindrome so when you when you look at it like straight away first of all the cover and the back cover are the same but flipped and it is the ice cream man himself holding an arrow telling you which way to open the page to start the book on a purple background and um it's like the beginning of like some kind of twisted fairground ride, and then you start flicking through it, and uh, as you read through, uh, it takes you on a journey through, um, I guess, like the circular nature of what it's actually getting at. It is the circular nature of depression or intrusive thoughts and and anger and grief, and how like you go through cycles of it. So you you come through a cycle, you come back out the other end and then you're ready. You're looking over the edge, ready to fall back in again. If that makes sense. And I think that's a pitch perfect explanation of the plot for this. this Yeah. Yeah. And the mechanics of the book itself allow you to read it in both directions and experience the same tale both ways. Um, which I think is an absolute triumph and, um, just something completely different like the book is literally a palindrome and there are full sentences within the book that are palindromes and uh with within some of the scripts so there's some of the characters where the names are palindromes there's like full sentences inside some of the speech balls that are palindromes it was just such a joy to read it and just to discover this stuff and like as always the artwork is just like 
stunning and I love the center two pages like such gorgeous grotesque design and this like weird creepy horror that Ice Cream Man is so good at right now um like definitely one of the best horror comics on the market and uh will be making my Halloween list this year for sure like it makes my it's made my Halloween list every year since I've since it's been on on the shelves but like damn like how can you not be reading this <laughs> like I mean what did you reckon Ray yeah, so I can't really top your explanation of the plot because I think you nailed it. Um, so I'm not going to add further to that. What I will say is like, yeah, like you said, I really like that they bring in some really like famous palindromes. So things like Dennis Sind or like, um, let's see if I can pull one out, like Bird Rib. Things mm. like that. I don't want to spoil too many of them, but like they bring these famous palindromes that if you've, you know, enjoyed English as a kid or whatever, you may have, uh, like... You, you'll know these, I think. And so seeing them sort of manifest and then become part of this story is really cool. Um, the thing that I had, like, my expectation of this before I picked it up was I didn't... I thought it was going to be a thematic palindrome in the way that, like, you know, the um, the Fearful Symmetry chapter of uh, of Watchmen, where yeah. if you if you read that issue uh, from back, back to front, it's not like this where you can actually literally read it backwards but thematically the same thing is happening on the mirrored you know pages as you spill out from the center and it all culminates in this one centerpiece which is like a, a splash page in the middle of like i think adrian smacking somebody in the face or whatever yeah. but um in this they i was initially i think disappointed is a bit strong i was initially set aback by finding that it's literally a palindrome like it's literally a visual and a dialogue palindrome it's all the text can be writ, uh, read in both directions, it takes you to the center, and then from the center you spool back out. Like you were saying, it's that nature, that cyclical nature of bouncing back and forth between coming out of grief and then falling back into it again. Um, and it took me a couple of readings to really appreciate what it's doing, because like in the format of it, like they've they've been. I always feel like they've been extremely stubborn about the format and saying no, we don't want there to be any thematic thing. We don't want there to be a different revelation when you read it backwards and forwards it's almost like it's the same revelation um and the whole point is that it's mirrored it's not trying to yes what i thought would happen was i'd read it through once forwards and then i would get a a different reading backwards but it's not i think there's a slightly different reading when you read it backwards but what when you read it from the back cover to the front cover you're basically getting the latter half is the same as the first half in that reading so if you're reading it so from page one to page ten is almost the same as reading it from page 20 to page 10 is what I'm getting at. And I didn't expect that mechanic to be happening in the narrative. And I, the more I read it, the more I appreciate it. Because uh, uh, particularly on like a um, on like a craft design level, where you start noticing that, um, like the first time I read through it, I in my head I just clicked as though, oh, they're just mirroring the pages. Like it's not, they have, haven't actually gone to much effort, which is doing a massive disservice to, I, the, yeah. to the crafting of this book. Because when... Um, one, when you try and when you read the the dialogue in the boxes, it really does change how things are being said based on the order that you read them in. There's mm. some really interesting differences of reading on 
a couple of pages like there's one bit where he talks about wanting to take it up with the god of the underworld where like there's these really stark interrogating like terrified eyes pointing at that dialogue box and it's either at the end of a page before you flip over or it's the start of the page when you have just flipped over depending on which way you're reading it and it does have a very different sense yeah um to the guy's journey uh, based on which way you go through it. and it's really really interesting and then also um like the panel layouts they're not just mirrored it's they're they're restructured so that something you would have read at the top of page uh, three will be at the bottom be of... at the bottom of page seventeen or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's and then the more you think about it, the more you realize how much effort would have gone to to not only make those panels invertible in their like uh, the verticality, because then you have you have the full page and then you have little panels overlaid on top, and those those little panels you could see how they could like quote unquote easily be flipped and reordered, but the ones in the background like it's like they've been painted. Yeah to sift through the entire page there's no tricks there's no like breaks or gutters which you could easily copy and paste the image they would have had to redraw those pages oh no it is yeah yeah there's some actual there's actually a lot of effort gone to make it all look seamless and it's one of those things that um again i think my literacy when it comes to comics is very different to my literacy in movies i feel like if this was a movie i would have picked up on it straight away but having read it as a comic like it took me three readings to like pick up on the oh wait a second they're doing this and it's it's really refreshing to have like this kind yeah. of mind for a medium where I am being surprised and I am noticing things that I don't I'm not so used to yeah. like I am with games and movies where I just pick up on it the first time because I have that literacy. I yeah. was constantly surprised by this book where y- you'd be so easily forgiven for thinking that it was them doing a story that could result in just half the work you know but there's there's so much to it and i would like if you even if you're not that interested in ice cream man despite all the times we've um you know raved about it just pick up this one even just like i yeah i generally wouldn't recommend this but like flick through it in the comic book shop just just take a look number 13 it's so good if you are a fan of the genre then like you owe it to yourself to check this issue out because I and mean, even if you're, if you're just a, if you're a, a fan, fan of comics, or... if you're a fan of the medium, you owe it to yourself to check this issue out. I'd say. But even if you're not a fan of comics, if you're a fan of things playing with their established format, if you're if you're a fan of things um, like structurally playing with um, like themes and setting and breaking the boundaries of what's established for that medium, this is a really good example of them yeah. not being too far up their own arse with it as well. Like there's, yeah. it's not they're not trying to be look how clever we are at the thing we've done because we've done something like we've taken this thing and flipped it on its head. Like there's, I feel like there's a lot of craft and genuine effort gone into Mm. making this and yeah, I really admire it. No. Yeah. I mean like my, I want to revise uh, what I said before about it being cyclical because it's more like a pendulum swinging back and forth. Yes. Yeah. And that is, that is the, the exact thing that I did because I read it uh, front to back and then started on the back page instantly and went the other way. And that's how I got a sense of what it was trying to show me and what it was trying to be. And I love that the throne is empty in the center page because to me, that's just like suggesting that you can be the Lord of your own personal hell. Like he could just go and sit in that throne and he could sit and stew in it, or he could try and come back out the other side. I I guess that's what that's saying to me. That's a very apt observation. I think that's very astute. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, obviously, you know, stuff like this 
like speaks to me i love this kind of stuff but like it's um i just i just thought it was a really great issue and i wanted you guys to read it and we always love ice cream man on this cast and i just as always i I just think that it's absolutely brilliant and still one of the best comics you can get i i think and and you owe it to yourselves to check it out for sure i think this one's really fresh in you know being like taking it a step further and being a literal palindrome and and also being a in the sense that like you described ray a lot of work has gone into it it isn't just the fact that they've just flipped the story it's the fact that it is it is a story that they have written in such a way that it works both ways and I'm I'm always a fan of concept pieces. Yeah. Like I love concept albums and stuff. And it looks like the next issue, number fourteen, is going to be uh, based around the concept of a crossword puzzle. Yes, so and that if... that's on the pull list. And mm-hmm. uh, I will I will probably like we're going to talk about that in a bit anyway. But yeah, you're right. It's a it's a crossword puzzle. And um, I think the idea is that by completing the crossword puzzle, you can change the outcome. That's cool. That's interesting. I haven't read too much into it, but just looking at yeah. the, the the blurb looks cool. If that is the case, then I might have to buy two copies so I can fill one. Out. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. how they get you. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's, it's it's really cool. And is is hell of your own making, or is it just because he's off selling ice cream? I don't know. Um, but uh, the devil that is off selling ice cream. But I mean, like that is Ice Cream Man number thirteen, and the title is Palindromes. And uh, that is uh, the usual team of W. Maxwell Prince writing, art by Martin Morazzo, colours by Chris O'Halloran, lettering by Good Old Neon, uh, cover A is Morazzo and O'Halloran, and there is a cover B by Wes Craig. Uh, the design is by Ashley Walker, and by design, I believe that refers to the uh, the inside um, covers, like this, like the mosaic designs that you get on the inside covers. And also some of the other graphic, some of the other like design choices within the book, which uh, I think are always pretty great. This one um, has two-headed cats and stuff, which yeah, enough said. That's that's as much as I'm going to go into that. But it's great, uh, fantastic book. And um, moving on from there, next on the list is you, Ray, with the boys. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I haven't, uh, I haven't finished the comic. But basically, with the um, with the emergence of the boys TV show, which is on Amazon Prime, um, starring Carl Urban in in the main lead of of Butcher, uh, as like a fantastic depiction of this character, by the way. Um, but yeah, b- because the TV show came out, I wanted to catch up on the book. Um, Partly because the TV show came out, but also because Marvin had raved about it. Um, perhaps even in a previous cast, talking about how good The Boys was. Uh, Leon has told me how it's one of um, one of his favourites from the past. So I thought I'd, now was the right time to catch up on it. So I'm actually only uh, four out of 12 uh, volumes, I think, into it. And what I want to say, because you, know, you must have heard takes on The Boys comic. Uh, you know, it's been out for so long. Um, what I want to say is I really enjoy the story. I enjoy that it's kind of pastiching known superhero tropes and like doing an extrapolation of that whole Watchmen who watches the Watchmen thing. Well, it's, you know, these fucking boys, like it's these guys who have to do the dirty work and look after these, these heroes who aren't heroes. I really do like that story. I will also say that I really dislike the art. I'm really not a fan. Maybe it's just a, an age thing. Maybe it's a, uh, I've got to it, you know, 2015, whatever, how many years it is too late, but I just don't like this shiny, just 
ugly version of all these people and i think maybe it suits it because like the whole world is ugly and all these heroes are ugly and whatever and i just don't i'm just not a fan i don't like it i don't really particularly like the design of of butcher despite i know what they were going for making him clean shaven but i just think he's just got a smug douchebag face and i'm not (laughs) i don't i don't i don't know how i feel about it all the like everyone is just like awful they go for the most obvious ways of making um awful people look ugly they make uh really weird and disgusting ways of making even beautiful people look ugly i'm just just not a fan of the art i'm gonna stop talking about it now otherwise i could rant about it forever um what i will say is the tv show is fantastic in a lot of ways but it has some scenes which it obviously cribs directly from the comic that are so much more effective in the comic so i don't i don't really want to spoil anything but there's a scene set on an airplane um which by virtue of what it is in the comic because they you know they they the thing that it, it's uh, it's the scenario that it's based on in the comic um, is is already going to be quite impactful. Um, but if you set that aside, even the way that it's presented in the comic and the the whole pacing of that entire issue, that entire scenario plays out in such a like shockingly horrific and awful way. And I was wrapped by it. So like this is where I can't fault the comic. I think it has some amazing scenarios. I think it's got a really um, like deft idea of getting these concepts across and like how horrific these people are and how like the extent that you know this team of uh, vigilantes has to go to to keep them in check and the whole balance of like are they becoming their own villains and whatnot that's that's really well done in the comic um i would urge you to all check out the tv show i think it's really good i think it ends on a slightly flat note but you know it's going to lead into more um going on um i'll say that i like some of the characters a bit more in the TV show because I feel like you get a sense of who they are a lot quicker. Uh, but I think that's just a consequence of the medium in comics because you have like 72 issues or whatever it is to get to know some of these characters. But if I feel like this this four-volume point that I've hit is almost an equivalent to the one season that I watched on the, on the TV show, I feel like I have a much better understanding of not only our quote-unquote heroes but also our villains in the show than I do from the comic. And in that way, I might even say, watch the TV show first before you dive into the comics. Mm. Indeed. And, I, yeah. I, something I've been meaning to check out, because I, I read the comics, but it was a long, long, long time ago. Mm. Um, and, uh, well, what I read was a long time ago. And, like, I can't... Like, I don't think I ever finished it. And, um, like, I can't really speak for... <laughs> Because I don't really know anything anymore, but I need to catch up. And I need to watch the TV show so I can join that conversation. Well, um, I mean, the point—the point that I'm at yeah. on the comic right now—is sort of lampooning and pastiching uh, the idea of the X-Men, right? And what a a capitalist-driven, like, um, basically money-grubbing and uh, morally corrupt version of the X-Men would be. And I do, I do like how it explores the worst version the worst capitalist hell versions of these heroes i really like that that Mm. concept of what it's doing um and i haven't found anything to truly hate about it yet i get the feeling i'm really going to enjoy it more and more as i go on actually that's that's the sense i'm getting yeah um so i mean this comes with a warning right like you shouldn't read this on the train or something oh yeah definitely yeah like uh, <laughs> like i think i may have talked about watching like hannibal on the yeah. train before yeah. yeah and really needing like feeling the need to like cover up because there's some really squeamishly disgusting bits in that show i kind of maybe maybe i've just grown up maybe i just stopped caring but like i've been reading some i've been reading the boys on the tube 
And you can never tell when the next page you turn over to is going to be like somebody's face cut in half or, you know, like really, really gory scene of dismemberment or whatever. I just don't care anymore. Like, do whatever you want on the train. I don't care. If anyone's looking over your shoulder, that's their problem. Well, no, don't do whatever you want on the train. (laughs) Do whatever you want in regards to the media you're consuming on the train. No, actually, no, even that's not. Yeah, yeah, don't even do that. (laughs) If you want to read The Boys on the Train, do it. I don't care. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'll say. That's that's my line. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. You can't be you can't be that general, Ray. You can't. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. No. Don't go watching anything you're not supposed to watch yeah. outside of the privacy really, of your own home. Really, really mm. don't do what you want on the train because that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Please, please don't. Don't be that person. Are you saying that you'd feel uncomfortable reading the boys in a public setting? Pro. Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, some. I mean, if. At points where things get sexually explicit, maybe, because that's a point where I think, okay, maybe this is a bit too much for Gen Pub if they, like, look over my shoulder or something like that. Because in the same way that I I wouldn't watch porn in public or something like that, you just wouldn't, would you? (laughs) Well, one of the the biggest benefits that, like, I don't find many benefits of reading digitally over on paper, other than not having to carry around really heavy books everywhere. But one of them is if you do get to a scene where it's like either really graphic or sexually explicit, you could just turn the brightness down and yeah. just like quickly skim through it without people like yeah. obviously being able to see what's on your screen. See, and then when you get back to normal, just turn the brightness yeah. up again. You see, graphic violence uh, to an extent, I think, I think is 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 more socially acceptable. Isn't that like, weird? I mean, that's now's not the time for that conversation. But God, that's so messed up. Yeah, like I mean, I said to an extent. You know, there's points where, <laughs> yeah. but like I, when it, when things get sexually explicit in nature, that's when I start to feel like it's a little bit, no, you know, you mm. can't, you can't read those types of things in public and you certainly can't watch them. <clears throat> on from there, there was a book called Man of Black that I picked up, which is a new one on Dark Horse. Um, and that is a horror title and that is by the sort of excellent team of Tyler Crook and Colin Burton. Uh, who you may or may not remember me raving about in regards to a book called Harrow County, which is another horror book by these two on Dark Horse. Now, Man of Black, um, it has these beautiful, like, washed-out watercolour pages, like, sort of like um, bleeding colours and uh, these, like, watercolour wash uh, palettes and everything. And it's just, it's absolutely, it's an absolutely gorgeous book. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read the blurb before I go any further. So, from the creators of Harrow County and The Sixth Gun comes this gothic horror fantasy about a family of sorcerers in crisis. Roman Black is the moribund patriarch of a family of powerful sorcerers. As his wicked and corrupt children fight over who will take the reins of Manor Black and become representative of the Black Arts, Roman adopts a young mage whom he gives his powers to hope uh, to who and gives his powers to with the hope that someone will take his place against the evil forces out to bring down his family and legacy and yeah i like as a for a first issue i just cannot absolutely absolutely cannot fault this this is everything i was looking for like i i came to this looking for some of that harrow county magic and boy did i find it like this is like tyler crook's wonderful watercolor work in this be- this beautifully painted book, though, is set in the present day, unlike Harrow County, which is set kind of in the 1920s kind of time. And, like, this is just in time for my favourite time of year as well. Like, the weather's meant to be getting cooler, but right now I feel like I'm in a sauna. 
the leaves are supposed to be falling off the trees and things. It's just supposed to start happening now. I mean, I know we're still in August. It's still summer, technically. Um, so, like, yeah, like I said, I came to this looking for a, a dose of that Harrow County magic, and boy, did I find it. The This has atmosphere by the ton, this book, and it's the kind of horror that creeps up on you. It seeds itself in your mind, and then it grows in your subconscious. Like, you you will look at things in this in this book. You will look at certain pages and certain sequences, and, and it, it will seem... Uh, unassuming or it, it won't it won't kick you in the teeth straight away but the more you dwell on it and the more you think about it like the more powerful it becomes and that's that's what I like about it and yeah it just it just plays in your subconscious and Tyler's work is just so expressionistic like the movement and composition it really draws you in and to these washed out bleeding colour pages and these eerie shadows um, that he kind of weaves throughout this book. And like the writing here is fantastic as well. Like it just, just grips you instantly. Like the book actually starts in media res. Um, we're like in the middle of uh, some kind of uh, car chase or, or some people desperately trying to escape from something in a truck. I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about the plot and how the comic plays out because I... I want you guys to go away and read it, but there's some absolutely stunning sequences and some beautiful artwork in here. And if you like Harrow County, then this is your jam. Uh, and that is Man of Black number one, written by Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt. The artist is Tyler Crook, colorist Tyler Crook, and cover artist, would you believe it, Tyler Crook. And uh, that was that came out on my birthday. That was July 31st, and that is on Dark Horse Comics. Um... Moving on from there is Bottom Feeders, which I think is you, Leon. And Leon that is me. like that is Bottom Feeders minus the uh, m- minus the vowels. Yeah, so it's Bottom Feeders spelled B double T M F D R S. And that is um, the Ben Passmore book, right? Well, yeah. Um, this book written by uh, Ezra Clayton Daniels, who. Um, some uh, listeners might know him from Upgrade Soul, which I believe was last year, and uh, illustrated by Ben Passmore, who uh, listeners of the show, I don't remember the episode we did where I spoke about Your Black Friend, which was his webcomic turned uh, physical comic. Um, that is a was a sort of really, in a way, intimate, but really real take on just a lot of, ways that it um how it is in certain ways to be like him living in that place in that time dealing with social racial and various other economic uh changes going on so that that one was really short and it was it was like the best way to describe it again would be talking about his relationship with say like white supremacy for instance and but but on a much um a much more day-to-day basis and yeah I, I thought that one that book like I said on the episode I thought it was very um I thought the writing was really like it was sharp satire and it really got to the the meat of a lot of issues in quite a quite a short amount of time it's really direct and with this book um it's 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 still it's I'd say it's related that there's a thematic lineage between those two books and uh, 
what uh, Passmore used uh, words and images um, to convey. Now uh, Daniels and Passmore together create this world, which is not even a mirror image, but it's like a slightly more exaggerated version of, of our world. And it, it really connects and really hits in, in the right way. So the basic plot is uh, Dala is a recent art school grad who just um, has moved into gentrified apartment with no windows uh, and weird sounds in the walls and the power can go out from time to time. The apartment is in a neglected part of Chicago named the Bottom Yards. Uh, while Dala grew up there, her parents eventually moved away and now fund her life as a struggling artist. Uh, upon moving in to this new place, she's uh, she butts heads with her best friend and uh, meets some neighbours and it all seems a bit off-kilter, but then things become increasingly clear that it's just not all as it seems. And I won't go into too much detail because by the time you've got a, a real sense of what is actually going on in this world, it is a good chunk of the way in. But it, it like the word, the word gets thrown around a lot, but there is uh, some, some, there's some eldridge in this. There's a lot of... Uh, the beast beneath the floorboards, like living and breathing city type stuff going on here. Uh, but the way it's done is almost like a byproduct of the world around it and what the characters that you follow. And it manages to cover a lot of really interesting themes and topics, but not in a heavy handed way, in a very real way. And while like Passmore uses generally like cartoony characters, they're all really grounded in in a world that lives and breathes in the same way that ours does, and that's what I think makes it feel very real and very authentic. Uh, I mean, in all the chatter around this, the, the word that I kept hearing a lot was gentrification, gentrification, gentrification. And it, it really is. Um, that is a, a fundamental core. But I think that in a way sells the book short because it's about a lot more than that. And gentrification is just another branch uh, of the general late stage capitalism, uh, structural racism and everything in between and how it, how it gets there is, is not done in, in your really standard way because you, you're hanging out with characters who are flawed and who are hypocritical in their own ways, but they're all just trying, trying to make it where the, and in the background is this foreboding sense of, of, of horror. And the first thing that, the first thing that, like grabs your eyes is the page layout. Uh, I got this physical um, and it was nice hardcover, but it's uh, the pages are vertical instead of uh, horizontal. And it, in a way, it's like you're reading a widescreen comic, um, not too, I'd say slightly different from, is it border? 
the there's a book that yeah the read. Brian K Vaughan one yeah border yeah yes yeah. um and it, it's it's similar in composition on a general sense to that but whereas that was looking quite broadly this one is focused way more on on the characters specifically Dala and the people in her in her general circle and it by having the pages like that what you do is you have maybe two to three sometimes four panels uh, on one page and the way the action flows the way the dialogue floats the way the uh, the way you're sort of pulled through the uh, the time of the comic is there's, there's something about it where it just feels re- really natural and I think what that does is help lure you in into this world and you you quickly start to care about these characters but also you're wondering like what the hell is up with this and there's um, a lot there sorry guys just to interrupt you the Brian K Vaughan comic you're talking about is Barrier that's it Barrier yeah, thank yeah. you uh, I think I was confusing it with Border Town, which is one that you guys... Yeah, that came yeah. out around the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Roughly the but same yeah. time, yeah. But, like, yeah, Barrier. But, yeah, um, the, the the thing with the way it's all done is that the layout works perfectly with Passmore's use of colour. And so, generally, colour is defined by location and not by object or person and what i mean by that is this is a quite a representative and diverse set of characters the lead character dala is black her best friend is white uh there's a few other people of color uh who enter the story but nobody is uh painted the color they are instead what happens is that say when you're in one apartment it's all yellow uh, which is sort of the light that comes from the the buzzing lights, and in there are different shades of that yellow within a certain sequence, and then you go down a floor and suddenly it's blue with different shades of blue in that sequence, and all the characters and all the objects are different shades of that blue, and it's only like three or four shades of of, of those different colors, and it's really. I think what that does thematically is that when you're dealing with uh, different issues and story elements that are to do with uh, like race and privilege and all that, but instead the characters aren't uh, visually beholden to that. And instead their general design uh, and the way like the way that certain elements of their like face and like their their clothing is presented and the words they're saying are what grounds you into what the character is and not just a visual uh tick of skin color and it, i don't know it, it it creates like this really nice visual language as you go from location to location in in this building or around around these main apartment block in in the bottom yards and it, it really uh, works to give the place a character and 
I know it made it a joy for me to to go through, and it wasn't just the I wanted to know what what the hell was going on with like the teased horror element uh, right at the beginning. Uh, I also wanted to know what was going on with these characters and this like scummy uh, like landlord, who, uh, and I also wanted to see what more they were going to do with the design and the color and what other conversations we were, we were going to get that don't feel belabored, but in fact, on point social commentary. And like I was saying before, all of this has the building horror just out of sight in the background, just Jaden. Uh, uh, characters interact slowly, but really the real horror is kind of a mix of posers and fake people uh, gentrifying the area, uh, abusive um, like landlords and and other people in power who uh, wield their power uh, selfishly and greedily, uh, but also just structure. Uh, there's a there's a um, a sequence of panels where someone calls nine one one, and they say, oh, "If it's not a direct emergency, please call four one one, because uh, we can tell you're calling from." The, uh, the bottom yards, uh, like, it, we only send people all that way out if it's a real emergency. And what what is painted early on is that the bottom yards is a historically, uh, like, black area. So it's been underfunded un- um, uh, and uh, left uh, to rot, really, by, by the government and by uh, all the infrastructure around it. But then you've got all these young art kids and rich kids and stuff moving into that area, as you do in places like London, New York, and everywhere else in metropolitan cities in the West, uh, where it's like you get some street cred if you're like a musician or something like that by moving into a place that has lower rent than the other places around it and and has uh, this fake sense of like, oh, cool, you're from, you're from that area, blah, blah. Oh, isn't it really scary going there after night? Um, and you see that stuff play out in really awkward but realistic ways. Uh, Darla's best friend, Cynthia, she's white and they've known each other their whole lives, but there's a different experience uh, growing up as a black woman and it, then to growing up as a white woman. Um, and you, you really get a real sense of Oh yeah, I'm I'm like mega liberal, blah blah. I, uh, I like I know everything. I'm saying homey and da 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 da. But like, she doesn't really understand the fundamental differences. And for her, the dirty word is for any accusation that she could possibly be racist or have any racist uh, intention. And then it becomes a thing of like white fragility. So there's a lot of complex but real conversations happening with this backdrop of deep dark evil festering and um, I think that there's a lot more I could talk about but it's it's really tricky because I don't really want to go into the story so I'll just say check the check the book out it's it's really uh, nice to look at uh, it's really well written and I think that it deals with a lot of complicated and um, quite 
electric subject matter, but not in a preachy or soapboxy way. Instead, like I've been saying, it it feels authentic and real because it's it 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 seems like lived experience translated into this story, and mm. I think that makes it overall quite rich in 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 tone and content. Yeah, man, that, that sounds like something I want to check out. This sounds more like my thing than Dayglowe Hall, because um, I don't know if you've read that, but for me, I kind of bounced off of how it was. Like, one, it's it's post-apocalyptic. It's not set in any sort of current day setting. And it's a bit more um, like wildly fantastical and absurdist than I was. Than I think I wanted to read that kind of thing through. Whereas mm. this sounds a bit more grounded and has like real world uh, issues and real world applications. Is that? Yeah, th- I think it would be both your jams for similar but also different reasons. Mm. Okay, cool. I'll check that out. So and that was uh, on Fantagraphic Books, and it came out in June. Yeah. So uh, next on the list is one that I got sent uh, a preview copy of. And uh, I was sent a preview copy of this by uh, Gavin P. Smith. And uh, this is a book called Dead Legends. Now, do you like martial arts stories, guys? Hell yeah. Do you? Do you Do you like old kung fu movies? Double hell yeah. Well, like this book is like all of that like i think my exact quote upon reading it when i sent back like a message to gavin to tell him i enjoyed it was something along the lines of um i more than dug this book it's awesome uh a calculated and brutal flurry of strikes that hit all the right pressure points Um, So I'll just give you the blurb. Uh, A widow seeking revenge, a champion hellbent on losing, a world-class assassin second-guessing her contract. The Dead Legends tournament begins a long history of pitting the best fighters in the world against one another. But this year, these combatants uh, bend the rules and place the future of the tournament in jeopardy. This is the martial arts throwback series that hits harder than a kick to the skull, where alliances are made, bonds are broken, and fighters lose their lives. So this is Dead Legends, written by James Maddox, art by Gavin Smith, letters by Ryan Ferrier, and uh, the cover is by Leo Colapietro. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like, straight off the bat, this book is great. It's got some wonderfully realised action in each panel, which is what you want from a story like this, because the the centrepiece of this book is martial arts. It's this martial arts tournament, um, and it's a martial arts story. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail, because... This book isn't actually out until October, so it'll be 9th of October when this is available on A Wave Blue World. So A Wave Blue World of the publisher. Uh, hit up the website and check it out. That's awbw.com. Um, there's some cool preview pages on there, and you can have a quick look and, and see what you think about the book. Um, now, it's... Yeah, it's visceral. It's brutal. The fight scenes are exactly what you'd want in a comic with the movement and the sequences are displayed wonderfully and they play out beautifully across panels and everything else and there's some really cool like uh in the way they play with page layouts in the way they they play with displaying sequences and things which i really enjoy the way they display the action in this um which is i think like that is the key mechanic you've got to get right for a comic like this you need to get 
the action right you need to be able to display movement and action well in order to write a decent comic about you know where where the, the key focus is kinetic movement i guess martial arts and um i i, I think this this does a really good job of that uh, it's a really good example of that um and yeah it just took like the, the the story itself and reading this just took me right back to my teenage years when i was renting films like snake and the eagle's shadow uh, and, and watching things like uh, Enter the Dragon and that, just all of that kind of stuff. It's just, it's all of that, all of that. And um, there's some really fantastic sequences that play with colour in an interesting way as well. Um, and again, I don't want to go into too much detail because I'm, I've, I'm, un- I'm, I'm under instruction not to spoil it, which is what I'm not going to do. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that the way it plays with colour is fantastic and it gives the impression that everything is happening within a split second, like thoughts and, and, and movement. And it's what you want. It's how, yeah, it's, it's exactly what you want. Like just some of the character designs as well. Like some of the character designs are absolutely inspired. Um, and it has this, uh, this, this other kind of layer to it, this real kind of like, uh, King of the Iron Fist tournament thing going on, you know, with like these, ex- uh, so, so the character's, character designs as far as i'm gonna go um it has this uh this exaggeration and this caricaturization with some of the characters these these martial arts tropes and such uh in a street fighter slash tekken kind of way if that makes sense to you too um which is something that i really enjoyed when i was reading it and yeah you, you guys really need to check this out it's uh it's brutal it's on a wave blue world and it's called dead legends and uh your team again you have writer james maddox art by gavin smith letters by ryan ferrier and cover by leo colopiatro and uh thank you to gavin smith for providing us with a copy of this so that i could talk about it and uh that is available uh in october october 9th i believe this year and there will be a trade available on the 18th of december looking at this so yeah, that's uh that's one for you guys to check out. Um I hope you two will be getting on it. I mean I know you're martial arts fans, so I hope especially Leon. I know Leon is a big Enter the Dragon fan. Uh I think, Enter the Dragon and all of them. <laughs> yeah. Specifically Enter the Dragon. I think Enter the Dragon was a thing for a while, wasn't it? Uh yeah, we used to do regular viewings, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um and uh on from there I think it's you, Ray, Promise Neverland. Yeah, another quick one. Um, so because uh, Askew stated his case for, one, this manga in particular, The Promised Neverland, in the last episode that he was on, and uh, he also um, convinced me to pick up a Shonen Jump subscription for the low, low price of $199 a month. So based on that, I, I, I grabbed it. He he made... Basically, I don't want to say too much about what the story is because he... He very effectively convinced me to read this manga. And so if you want convincing, go back and listen to the episode where he talked about it. Um, I just wanted to say I'm really enjoying this. Everything he talked about it being very like, you got to read the next one, you got to read the next one. Like very ma- punchy manga sort of um, like popcorn style. Like every single thing, you just, every single issue you want to just keep going through to the next one. Um, it has that thing about like the very anime slash manga-esque um, setting up this world with a lot of mystery and then it gets to play on these like fundamental differences in this reality 
and like extrapolate them as far as they can go. Um, that I really love about it. It's about really like uh, intelligent, precocious kids, which is always uh, something that I enjoy seeing. Um, all the characters are really likable. They have a very like positive worldview. Like the thing that they're their driving emotion is to save their friends, to save their um, their siblings in this um, orphanage that they're all stuck in and are trying to escape from. And I don't know, it's just it's paced so well. It's also it's kind of like it kind of reminds me of Death Note, not in terms of the the content of it, but the fact that Death Note was one of those mangas where it claims to be very clever. And for the most part, it lives up to it. Whereas I've read a lot of manga where it it talks about like these people being the cleverest kids in the world and like having these twists and turns that you'll never see coming or like these impossible situations, which then they figure out impossible um, ways to escape. And sometimes they don't really sell and follow through on those effectively. Whereas I think The Promised Neverland so far really has lived up to that. These kids are as clever as the writer is expressing them to be they um you know they are in these impossible situations and then and then through their intelligence and their scheming and their um observational skills and whatnot they overcome these trials and it's just it's i don't know i really i really dig it it's one of the first sorry not one of the first is one of the mangas that i've really really wanted to keep going on with lately whereas i've kind of fallen off the manga bandwagon for a while so yeah, check that out and go listen to Askew's review of it in the last episode for if if you need the final nudge over the cliff. Yeah, man. Um, the low low price of one ninety nine. Is that right? One. Uh, so two dollars a month basically to get access to the Shonen Jump app. Yeah. So how much is and that? like how much is that in pounds? Is that like four hundred quid? Because two dollars and like the fact the pound's gone down in value now. <laughs> As of right now, it's one pound sixty four. So get it while it's £1.64 and not 400 quid. Buy it before yeah, October. It's, it's yeah. when you have to start paying for it in euros that we're going to be screwed. <laughs> That's not going to happen because we're... we're <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think like the, the amount of content that you get for this $2 is astounding. It's amazing. There's stuff that I like. I need to catch up on that I'll now have access to. That you know, Stuff like Dragon Ball, stuff like One Piece... Um, I think the one that I'm really keen on catching up with is My Hero Academia. Wait, wait, wait. Um, you plan to catch up on One Piece? No, no, no. I'm I was going to say, I are you... Potential are you to ca- I will never catch up on One are you, Piece. That's are you, taking, are you like, taking a gap year from life? Is that- <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying that, that it exists on this platform and you have all of it. Like, you, you, have, you don't have yeah. to pay any extra. It's $2, $2 a month. I think I'm going to catch up on My Hero Academia and maybe Boruto, but I'm not that interested because, like, I liked Naruto, but I'm not. I don't care about his son. Yeah. So whatever. Naruto and One Punch so Man, I think, important. is better as an anime. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I was going to say, I think even if you forwent sleep and like, if you forego sleep and and eat and, and like get your sustenance from like weird ass milkshakes like Huel, like <laughs> there's no way you would be able to catch up on One Piece. Like, even in three, even with 365 days of nothing else to do but read One Piece. Yeah, it's 953 chapters right now, according to this. Maybe you, you read it for a solid year, you'd be able to catch up. Like Maybe. I mean, a lot of these are very bite-sized, like, issues, because they come out weekly, so... So 900 and something chapters, 365 days, that's 30 chapters a day? Sure. Right? I mean, I think that I think that's doable. Is if that my math? Like, is my math correct? First of all, or do I sound I like a moron? <laughs> I have no idea because I can't do mental maths either. But if, if you're you Mr. Numbers, like, 
if I, I'm an engineer. I use calculators. I don't have to do it in my head. Um, so 953 issues of a manga. Let's consider that to be like the equivalent of a third of a monthly issue of a comic, maybe, in terms of like how quickly you can get through it. Also because they're weekly and there's a little less going on sometimes. Maybe like half that. So you've got 400 to get through. I don't know why I'm doing this maths for you. Who cares? Like if you want to read One Piece, read One Piece. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Well, like I'm... I'm I'm you're a I'm a, a like artistically minded person so I'm someone that looks in something and goes yeah that looks right that looks right to me you're the you're the engineer you're supposed to you're supposed to be able to do this stuff I'm supposed to throw numbers at you and you're supposed to do it like like fucking countdown style man you're supposed to be able to stand there and just do all this mental maths and I'm supposed to sit here and go wow for the sake of moving on I'm going to say you were right <laughs> to begin with <laughs> I'm probably wrong but yeah there we go <laughs> don't ever take stock of anything when I start using numbers just don't um so this next book that i'm going to talk about i mean like it's already crept in to the conversation because the specter of brexit kind of crept up in that last comic we were talking about when we were talking about dollars versus pounds so like i mean hanging over this country at the moment as we all know anyone who lives here anyone who watches the news there is this specter of nationalism and populist ideas and just just these these horrible horrible nationalistic opinions and things that have just sprung up and been given strength that they shouldn't have and been given like you know just like like a fungus it's just kind of just appeared and just grown over things like overnight and seemingly overnight and it it, it, but like obviously this is something that's been going on since 2016 and it's horrible and it scares me and it's just like this cascading deep shadow that just overcasts everything you think about and do every decision you make from like for the past i don't know how many years i've had that anxiety hanging over me about like what's going to happen in the future and whatever and it's just it's just horrible and the 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 situation we're in is horrible and the prime minister's horrible and everything's horrible and this book confronts that (laughs) this book takes that and it confronts that and it comments on that and it and it's humorous as it is almost poignant in its telling of this story and in its use of Arthurian legend to do that and um, to highlight today's issues with rampant nationalism and in our country and, you know, like rampant toxic nationalism and, and how it's tearing us apart. And this is a book called Once and Future. Now, the, uh, the team behind this one, we have Kieran Gillen, uh, is the writer illustrated by Dan Mora, coloured by Tamara Bonavillain, and ed- ed- lettered by Ed Dukesha. Now, uh, I'm going to read you the blurb. When a group of nationalists use an ancient artifact to bring a villain from Arthurian myth back to- from the dead to gain power, ex-monster hunter Bridget Maguire escapes her retirement home and pulls her unsuspecting grandson Duncan, a museum curator, into a world of magic and mysticism to defeat a legendary threat. So, um, yeah, so this, through, uh, according to the blurb, um, the best-selling writer Kieran Gillen and Russ Manning award-winning artist Dan Mora explore the mysteries of the past, the complicated truths of our history, and the power of family to save the day. Especially if that family has secret bunkers of ancient weapons and decades of experience hunting the greatest monsters in British history. So, I mean, like, for me, um... It's very apt uh, that this book is around, like, right now at this point in time. It's, like, a really apt book. And it was just, when I was reading it, it was just, like, perfect for, you know, like, 
how I'm feeling at the moment and for also confronting issues that I things that frighten me basically um and the real horror of the book is the fact that it's so close to home i guess um it's gorgeous and all the color work is fantastic it's vibrant and it the colors really bring each page to life like each panel is so animated and like the character and monster designs are great and I especially love, um, there's a page where the questing beast, uh, if you know of the questing beast from Arthurian legend pops up, makes an appearance and it's an awesome full page. And this thing looks brilliant. Like, uh, so the questing beast, uh, is a strange creature that has the head of a neck, uh, the head and neck of a snake, the body of uh, the head of a neck, the body of a leopard, the haunches of a lion and the feet of a heart. Now heart is an old English word for uh, a male's deer, a stag. And, um, it has like apparently uh, 30 barking dogs in its stomach or it makes a sound of 30 barking dogs. Um, and uh, I think the idea is that it's like, a, a, a. I think people have the idea that it's a medieval approximation of uh, like a giraffe. I think that's what people, when, when medieval, medieval Britons first saw, or medieval people from the West or uh, first saw giraffes, they were like, fuck. So they came up with this horrible monster to describe a giraffe. But yeah, I mean, that's the idea. And I, I just love the design of it in this book. It just looks brilliant, like with its stomach full of barking dogs all kind of like trying to get out. And it just it just looks so great. And I love the way that this twists and uses like Arthurian legend to, you know, to to kind of confront these things that are happening in Britain today and to confront like, you know, this this whole like this nationalism thing and whatever. And yeah and 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 how it how it taught how it confronts the twisting of myth and legend and the taking of parts of stories and the ignoring of other parts to suit the narrative because a lot of that happens today as well and this is something that really does shine a light on that and it is a is a brilliant comic i would recommend it to anyone who uh enjoys arthurian legend or enjoys these kinds of stories these adventure tales monster hunter tales um it is definitely something, it is definitely my jam. I'd spread it on my toast, but um, I don't know about you guys, whether it be something you guys would want to check out. Yeah, it sounds up my street. Yeah. Like, I do like the Arthurian legend stuff. I like hearing Dylan, so of those two things, yeah. Yeah, well, I think I think the idea in this is that um, Arthurian legend isn't exactly what it's supposed to be. Oh, that's the impression I get by the end of the book. Like, uh, there's a chunk missing from what they usually tell you at school um and uh yeah i like i like that this book is exploring that and maybe i I don't want to give too much away but maybe good guys are actually bad guys so people people that you thought were heroes might not actually be heroes uh legendary characters that is and yeah it's um so it's a great it's a great little comic and that is once in future and that is on boom studios and I have number one right here, and it's great. Yeah, these some of these like uh, the color palettes in here, like these uh, like greens to blues and things, like the way the colors are just like uh, kind of fade together. Like everything is through some kind of like rainbow lens, um, and in d- different hues and things like that. And I just I just think it's just so beautifully done and so beautifully put together, like. It really gives it a like the points where mythic creature where a mythic creature appears. It really gives it a mythic quality, you know. 
and with the line work being so delicate and and the art being so expressionistic like facial expression so animated it's great um and it's really really well polished it's 100 percent something i recommend to you guys and that's on sale now uh the last one on my list is a book called strayed now, this is something that I think I expressed excitement for in a previous episode. I think it was just me and Leon at the time. Um, now, Strayed. I'm going to read the blurb first of all before I go into my little interpretation and everything else. So, uh, in the far future, a military-industrial complex reigns over humanity uh, reigns over humanity, and actively destroys distant alien worlds. The galaxy's only hope can be found through an unlikely pair, an astral-projecting cat named Lou and his loving owner, Kiara. Trading nine lives for the well-being of billions, their revolt is a battle for love, friendship, compassion, and the soul of humanity. Now, the best way I can describe this is uh, the silver surfer with ears and a tail. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's like a really way, a, really, a way of really simplifying it, I guess. Um, so, as a cat owner myself, this book really struck a chord with me and it hit me right in the last remaining soft part of my cold iron heart like it actually got some feels out of me and i empathized with the cat like i mean lou is just such a great little character he reminds me of my cat uh mono um also known as kitty uh funny story how he got the name kitty he became caught he became kitty we, we called him mono first of all but then we had a housemate at the time who would be, he would basically talk to the cat like, oh, hey, kitty, you know, call him kitty. Come here, kitty kind of thing. And uh, in the end, the cat kind of started answering to kitty. So thus kitty became his name. So we have a cat called kitty now. Um, and yeah, he he's really cool. And um, he's got this really strong personality. And I just like Lou in this comic like even even the way Lou is like the the way Lou is drawn like he's this this kind of like thin kind of cat like he just reminds me of my cat so much like he he just reminds me of Kitty like yeah and I love my space opera and cosmic tales at the best of times and this is actually like this just just chokes me up like but the the cats you know and poor Lou like kept separate from his owner and everything and made to kind of like astrally project across the universe. So the whole idea in this is, is that, so she's a military scientist, uh, Kiara Rodriguez, and she's created a device that translates brain waves into a discernible language. And she uses it to communicate with her cat. And, um, she discovers that the feline has the ability to astrally travel to faraway places. The military has much to gain from this ability. So that's a little section in the beginning of the book and it's set in the far future. And, um, the, like I view this through the lens uh, as a Marvel fan that the human race are Galactus in this uh, scenario and the cat is the Silver Surfer. And he is going from planet to planet and he is uh, finding these planets so that the human race can exterminate whoever is living there and take the resources. And yeah, I, I sometimes wish I could communicate with my cats in this way. Like I'd love a device like this that Kiara invents. Cause that's just the kind of thing I'd want. I want to be able to hear what my cats are thinking. And then at the same time, I kind of don't want to hear what my cats are thinking. Like, cause sometimes <laughs> I see the blank expressions on their faces and I wonder actually, are they traveling to other worlds or, you know, like what secrets lie behind those eyes? But then I, 
if I could hear them, they'd probably be like little axe murderers or some shit. I don't know. But yeah, it's like it's Silver Surfer except furry and four legged, and uh, it it just basically spotlights the senseless destruction that humans are capable of, and uh, in a Galactus type fashion. Uh, Lou and Kiara being held to ransom uh, and, and made to work against their will in a Silver Surfer type fashion and I, I loved every minute of it every minute of reading this book it's just an absolutely gorgeous book um, I mean in reality we are all Galactus right as the human race like we we consume that's what we're doing to this planet right now um, and uh, we are reaping the rewards of that right now in this sweltering heat in Britain like when has it ever been this warm before right um, you, you know, you got global warming to thank for that, I think. And there's this palette throughout the book of neon oranges and greens. And uh, it's just set against the dark background, which really makes it pop. And it's really stunning and bright. And um, it is a sufficiently cosmic palette, I, th- I feel. And um, the character designs are gorgeous. And there's these delicate sweeping line work. Um, and everything is just so organic in shape. And it just, it just, yeah, there's, there's nothing, you know, nothing is sharp edged or, 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 and, and, but everything is still defined and it is really leaning towards the abstract and, um, yeah, Lou, Lou is just amazing. And, uh, I can't read this comic actually without, um, feeling, um, compelled to mention a music video, which kind of embodies the spirit of this, um, called, uh, it, well, it's it's more like a fant. This is like a sci-fi version to what is the fantasy version, which is what this music video would be like. The fantasy version of this, which is a music video for a song by Mastodon called "Asleep in the Deep," and the music video features a cat going on some kind of quest into a strange world of puppets and uh, weird colours and things, and it's great. And um, yeah, it's just like. Even the first lines of this song is like, yeah, just just how I like the relationship between Kiara and Lou in this book is like, it's just how I and my cat like, it just reminds me so much of me and my cats. And like the first lines of this Mastodon song is what I'm going to close this review with. And uh, the moment you walked in the room, my friend, the demons, they all went away. Be careful. They're only asleep for a while, pretending there's nothing to say. And that's that's what cats do that's what pets do and yeah i you know what yeah i love it it's great buy it straight number one uh i'll give you your full team so that is uh written by carlos gifoni drawn and colored by juan do uh lettered by matt crotzer uh edited by Chaz pangburn uh, cover A is by Juan Do, cover B is by Dustin Nugent, and uh, there's a pinup by Morgan Beam, and there's some excellent full page work in here actually with like sweeping, uh, gorgeous kind of like dream sequences and things um, for when Lou is asleep, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just great, and um, yeah, that that's pretty much me gushing. Uh, and my gushing is finished. I'm going to, like, turn the, like, the big wheel tap, wheel valve thing and just, like, stop the rush. Uh, have you guys got anything left to mention? <laughs> Not comics-wise for this one, no. Yeah. Um, are we okay to move on to the pull list? Let's do it. Let's do it.
So, um, I will open the poll list. Uh, 28th the 8th is the next new comic book day, which is when this podcast will be available. And uh, on that day, you can pick up Mana Black issue 2. So, if you've enjoyed what I've just talked about, when I've talked about Mana Black, uh, go grab issue 1 and issue 2, because issue 2 will be on the shelves. We have Marvel Comics 1000. Now, um, this is kind of like a, a collection, a... Um, anthology style thing uh so this is the greatest talent ever assembled for one story this is the big one in celebration of marvel's 80th anniversary we have gathered together the greatest array of talent ever to be assembled between the covers of a single comic book names from the past names from the present and even from the future every page is filled with all new work from this cavalcade of comic book luminaries there is a mystery that threads throughout the Marvel Universe, one that has its origins in Marvel Comics number one, and which unites a disparate array of heroes and villains throughout the decades. What is the Eternity Mask, and who is responsible for the conspiracy to keep it hidden? And what new player will make their startling debut as these secrets are peeled away, featuring the entirety of the Marvel Universe of characters, rated T. And it comes in a perfect bound format, so I think it's going to have like a stock cover, possibly. And um, there is a number of covers available for this. Um, hundreds of different, co- loads of different covers available for this. So many people worked on this that I, I just cannot read them all. I think it's like pretty much everyone who's currently on the Marvel roster. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a big one and it's one that will be worth picking up uh, to celebrate Marvel's 80th anniversary. Marvel Comics 1000. Uh, the mole number one. Uh, comes out on uh, the 28th the 8th which is a comic that we talked about that we were given an advanced preview of by vault uh, a couple episodes back check out our review see what you think and possibly pick that up i think it's great uh ray you enjoyed it too the more i think i liked it slightly less than you uh but it was cool i remember loving the art style for it yeah um also we have ice cream man number 14 which is something that me and ray kind of talked a little bit about at the beginning here so yeah it's uh down and across is the name of the story in this one and uh solve this crossword puzzle and you might just save a man's life so this is where me and ray have decided that uh well i've decided that it might be that if you can solve the puzzle in the book throughout the book maybe that will change the outcome i don't know i'm not entirely sure how this one's supposed to work i'm hoping it's interactive if it is i'm buying two copies as i mentioned before so that i can fill it out um we also have marvel monsters number one which um the monsters are coming someone's doing terrible things to the marvel monsters and only kid kaiju can stop it but that's not all a murderous row of artists like Becky Cloonan, Gerardo Zafino, and others are on hand to provide awesome monster splash pages, accompanied by cross-sections from superstar artist Superlog. It's the big, bold, beautiful celebration of all things monstrously Marvel that you just will not want to miss. So I'm looking forward to that because monsters. Um, we've also got um, Fantastic Four Yancey Street number one. Uh, this is like rounding off my list for 28.8. So, um, fantastic for Yancey Street. So, um, Yancey Street is kind of, was kind of like a, it's like a running joke, um, in the Fantastic Four. Um, and, uh, this is a new take on the, uh, uh, this new take on the Fantastic Four will explore what happened when Marvel's first family took up residence on Yancey Street, much to the chagrin of their new neighbours. But an investigation into some neighbourhood vandalism forces the thing to confront part of his painful past. It only gets more complicated when the terrible trio show up. 
So uh, I'm always down for, a, for some Fantastic Four and some classic Marvel, and that that looks to me like something that I'm going to be in with. So yeah, I've got that on my list. Um, Ray, where are we with you for the 28th? I've only got a couple for the 28th. So in terms of issues, I'm, I wanted to point out Resonant number two. I've already talked about how much I loved Resonant, uh, Resonant number one. That's a Vault comic uh, by David Andre, Harry Saxon, um, uh, Darren Bennett and Ale Aragon. Uh, beautiful artwork, post-apocalyptic. I really dig, uh, digged it, and I'm really been looking forward to the second one. And then volume one for the Avant Gods. Again, something I talked about in the past. That's a boombox comic. Um, it's about cute people drawing in a cute style, playing basketball. I loved it. Uh, and just yeah, if you haven't caught up on it, buy that. Yeah. So uh, that brings us on to the fourth of September. Um, hopefully, this heat wave will be over by then. Um, so we have, uh, first book on my list for 4th of September is Everything Number One. Now, um, this is Burger Books. Oh, Burger Books, sorry. Am I saying it right? You guys know how to say it right and I don't. I always get it wrong. Is it Burger Books or Burger Books? Burger Books, yeah, let's just say it's Burger Books for the, for the sake of it, but... Yeah, so everything, number one. Everything is a gleaming new mega department store which arrives to extraordinarily thrill and rapidly... Which arrives to extraordinary thrill and rapidly escalates to inexplicable mania in the small town of Holland in Michigan. When random hellish fires and unshakable psychic disturbances start to overtake the community, a few like depressive out-of-towner... A few like depressive out-of-towner Laurie and a suspicious local named Rick begin to suspect everything and its catalogue perfect manager, Shirley. Who or what exactly is in charge here? And what insidious plans are in store? So that is... Uh, that is this, is, this sounds like something I'm really going to dig. And uh, when you look at the artwork on the cover, it's kind of got this, like, um, old-school horror comic kind of vibe in the way that the it's drawn and, uh, like, this kind of, like... Um, 50s 60s sheen to it like 50s 60s consumerist advertising type sheen over it and uh like these like old school looking sale logos in the background and stuff and it's just yeah it's it's for me and that is written by christopher cantwell and uh the artist is ljn colbard uh it's something that i'm i'm looking forward to now actually so yeah that is everything number one uh, the last one on my list is called Something is Killing the Children. Now, uh, this is on Boom. And um, this is GLAAD award-winning writer James Tinian Forth of uh, Metic Batman Detective Comics teamed up with artist uh, Wertherdell Edra. Um, Wertherdell Edra. Uh, which is Briggsland. Uh, it's an all-new limited series about staring into the abyss and finding your worst fears staring back. When the children of Archer's Peak begin to go missing, everything seems hopeless. Most children never return. But the ones that do have terrible stories, impossible stories of terrifying creatures that live in the shadows. Their only hope of finding and eliminating the threat is the arrival of a mysterious stranger, one who believes the children and claims to see what they see. Her name is Erica Slaughter. She kills monsters. That is all she does, and she bears the cost because it must be done. And, 
yeah, that's that's something that I'm I'm looking forward to, and uh, I will be checking out possibly in time for the next episode. Um, Ray, where are we with you on the uh, the ninth? Yeah, so both of those, everything and something is killing the children were on my list, as well as uh, the Wicked and the Divine number forty five, which is actually the finale of that story. Um, so a good time to catch up, and also another Kieran Gillen book, Die number seven, uh, will be coming out. Yeah, so uh, I guess that wraps us up for the pool list. Unless you've got anything you want to shout, Leon. I never have anything for the pool list. I'm currently going back and finding trades and graphic novels that we've missed throughout the year. So I'll be on that notice over the next two weeks. I know you never have anything for the pool list, but it's just polite to ask, right? (laughs) (laughs) So um, that wraps us up for Ace Comicals episode number 70. Uh, You can find us at www.acecomicals.com. Uh, where you can find a plethora of places to listen to us. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Castro, Overcast, Pocketcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Um, you can also find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. We're on Twitter, where we are most active under Ace Comicals. Uh, you can find us on Instagram under Ace Comicals. And uh, you can get in touch with us via our uh, email address, acecomicals at gmail.com. Or just feel free to DM us on Twitter or at us and get involved in the conversation. Maybe if you've read some of the comics we've talked about, uh, you can give us your little uh your piece, your two pence, your opinion. Uh, get involved. Tell us uh, what you like and what you don't like about what we do. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Uh, Ray, where can we find you? Twitter at Monkeye, M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Yeah, so that has been Ace Comicals episode number 70. So that is Ace Comicals over and out. Support your LCS.